The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the ninth chapter. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, it is he. Others were saying, no, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. If you are a parent, which some of us here are, you know that changing your mind often leads to disaster. If you are a child, which all of us here are, you might remember that your parents changing their minds often led to disaster. For example, we've decided that instead of going to your favorite restaurant, we're going to stay home. Won't that be fun? Or Instead of going to Disney World, we've decided to do a tour of historical monuments instead. Won't that be fun? Or, instead of going to the beach this weekend, we've decided to do some deep cleaning. Won't that be fun? I have countless memories of when my boys looked at me horrified and said, But Mom, you said... Sometimes I had valid reasons for changing my mind. Most of the time, I was just tired. One of the most popular prevailing descriptives of God is that God is unchanging. If we think about it, though, <clears throat> the only unchanging thing about God is that God exists, whatever God, in fact, is. But in reality, God does a lot of changing. For example, in the Bible, God appears as a burning bush, pillar of cloud and fire, a dove, and finally the person of Jesus. God even changes God's mind in the Bible. Take the story of Jonah, for example, when God decides not to destroy the city of Nineveh after the people repent from their sins, or the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, you've heard it said, and then lists some of the commandments, but I say to you now, Perhaps then a more accurate description of God might be sometimes unchanging. In fact, God even goes further than merely changing. God also sometimes regrets things. In Genesis 6, human beings are so messed up that God regrets ever having even created us in the first place. And in today's gospel, or in today's first reading, 
God regrets having made Saul king of Israel. It's important to note here that God never even wanted the people of Israel to have a king in the first place like other nations. That's why there were the judges. But the people insisted, and so God relented. Another example of God changing God's mind. Or maybe it was like a toddler screaming for ice cream and God just gave in because God was irritated and tired. But it's not as if God hadn't seen kings in the past throughout human history. So when Israel insists on having their own king, God has a pretty good idea what's in store. Deception, greed, tyranny, etc. You are familiar with the story of empire corruption. <clears throat> so anyway, enter Saul, Israel's first king. Before we take a stab at 1 Samuel chapter 16, we need to take a quick peek at the chapter just before it. Chapter 15 is important in understanding how God continues to change in relationship to humans and how God either regrets or relents both examples of change depending on the situation. Chapter 15 describes a change in God in the fact that God regrets making Saul king over Israel. So what does Saul do that is so bad? that God rejects him as king. Well, in chapter 15, <clears throat> Saul rebels against God's word. Instead of wiping out an entire people and all of their possessions, Saul not only secretly keeps the best of the livestock for himself and his army, but he also spares the king's life, whom God had distinctly commanded him to kill. Between Saul's poor leadership and lack of obedience, God tears the kingdom of Israel from him that very day, to quote Samuel. And then God deeply regrets ever having made Saul king, because sometimes political choices lead to regret, even with first kings or 45th presidents. Anyway, it isn't only poor leadership that causes God to regret making Saul king. It's mostly that Saul sees himself with little eyes to borrow the words from Samuel, instead of seeing himself how God sees him. Now Saul is certainly not the only anointed or elected leader to see him or herself with little eyes. In fact, the pull of empire corruption is so strong that leaders often exchange their honorable duty to lead with equity and justice and peace for tyrannical greed, using violence and reveling in destruction. See today's headline of Putin's visit to Mariupol. Saul's gravest sin then is that he does not see himself as God sees him, that he does not live into God's vision for him. God only regrets making Saul king after Saul does not trust God. Humans then play a very decisive role in changing God's mind. In other words, God is not just randomly changing God's mind willy-nilly. Now I love you, now I don't, now you're king, now you're not. It's not random, fickle change at all. God changes in dynamic relationship with human beings. In Genesis, humans sin, God regrets. In Jonah, humans repent, God relents. In this story, Saul sins God regrets.
This shows then that God is not unchanging at all. God is ever changing. So what does all of this have to do with today's first reading? Because haha, we have not even gotten to today's chapter yet. We see Samuel is a seer. S-E-E-R. He's a seer. He's literally the eyes of God as Israel transitions from the time of Judges to the United Kingdom of Israel under King Saul. Samuel, you should know, <clears throat> is grieving and angry and in fact even a bit scared over Saul's dethronement. After all, chapter 15 ends with Samuel tearing King Agag, the one that Saul spared, limb from limb. So when God tells Samuel to go to Bethlehem to seek a second king to replace Saul, Samuel fears for his life that Saul will seek revenge on him. Needless to say, when Samuel shows up in Bethlehem, the elders run in fear because news of the King Agog dismemberment thing had spread quickly. As instructed, Samuel goes to the house of Jesse and asks to see his sons. Seven of Jesse's eight sons are paraded in front of Samuel. Samuel rejects all of them. Isn't there another? Samuel asks. Jesse replies, just my youngest, but he is out tending sheep. Bring him in, Samuel demands. David is brought before Samuel, and Samuel immediately says, this is the one. Now David is the eighth son, the last one, the one literally brought inside from the outside where he was tending sheep. And even though God insists that looks don't matter, David is evidently pretty hot, which leads to considerable complications later, re Bathsheba. But it doesn't really hurt when a leader is good looking. See Justin Trudeau. Emmanuel Macron, Pedro Sanchez, president of Spain. Sorry, Joe does not make my list. Even so, God does not choose David based solely on his looks. It is intrinsic to God's unfolding story that the last be chosen. The overlooked, the oppressed, the marginalized, the ones left outside doing menial labor. God chooses the last and the lowly David to be the shepherd of God's people. Because even though society sees David as being an afterthought regarding inheritance and power, God sees him as king. David eventually conquers Jerusalem and makes it Israel's political and religious center, which it remained until 1948, <clears throat> when Tel Aviv was recognized as the capital, at least by much of the world. However, the United States officially declared Jerusalem as the capital of Israel in 2017, a decision immediately condemned by the UN when Trump declared it should be so. Baffling world leaders and reversing 70 years of American foreign policy. So I am considering declaring Berlin to be the capital of Iowa because I love Berlin and I think it should be so, which evidently is all the rationale required for declaring capitals of places, but I digress. 
Why does any of this matter? Because it means God is not a changeless carved statue that we put on a shelf and dust off from time to time. Instead, it means that God is an ever-living being, existing in dynamic relationship to human beings. If we are created in God's image, then it follows that all human things are rooted in God including changing, grieving, regretting, relenting, rejoicing. In this way, God relates to human beings, rejoicing when his son is born and suffering when he dies. If God remained unchanged when his son died, what would this say about God? What would this say about us who are created in his image? Not one of us would remain unchanged if one of our children died. When we grieve, God grieves. When we rejoice, God rejoices. Here's the thing. When a mother has a baby, to her, that baby is the most beautiful baby in the entire world, even if to others that baby isn't so very cute, because let's be honest, there are ugly babies in the world, but not to that mother. God sees each of us that way, as the most beautiful thing God has ever created, even when, especially when we or others use little eyes to see ourselves as ugly. And does the mother promise to love her baby as long as it never changes? Some mothers do, which is where human ways and God's ways part. While human love is broken and conditional and finite, God's love is not. This is why I never let couples write their own wedding vows. Because someone will inevitably say, I will never change, or please don't ever change, or our love will never change. Of course it will. In order to live, in order to grow, even as we grow and change, so then does God. God goes in a completely different direction by choosing David as king. In fact, Jesus' own lineage is traced directly back to King David, not King Saul, reflecting Jesus' own mother also as the lowly lifted up, just like David was, reflecting the shepherds who first heard the news of Jesus' birth, shepherds just like King David was. The main difference between the two kings lies in their response when confronted with their sin. Saul tries to justify his, causing him to grieve God's heart, whereas David takes ownership and confesses, making him a man after God's own heart. Remember, all of this stems from the fact that while Saul never trusts that he's the king God intends for him to be, David lives fully into that vision, sometimes a bit too much. Saul is just never able to see himself as king. His eyes are too small. I don't blame him. I'm the same way. You likely are too, seeing ourselves with beady little eyes instead of the eyes God sees us with. When parents change their mind,
The kid automatically assumes that what comes next is going to be worse. But in the case of the Bible, what comes next is always better. First there are the judges, then there are the kings, then there are the prophets, then there is finally Jesus. God changes and how God leads and relates to human beings. God changes God's mind from destruction and judgment to mercy and grace. Changes from picking up the stone of punishment to dropping it in the dirt. Changes from floodwaters to baptismal waters. Changes from the word of law that brings you to your knees to the word of life that sets you free. Jesus is that word. He is the flesh and blood evidence that God changes. Jesus embodies God's willingness to change out of love for us. If we could only see ourselves and each other as God sees us, replacing vision blurred by inadequacy or suspicion and judgment to vision made clear by compassion, fascination, benediction. If only we weren't so blinded by despair and anxiety and fear that we could see the beauty and joy and astonishing diversity life offers, particularly in human beings and our full splendor of skin color, sexual orientation, gender identity, customs, religions, languages, etc. If we're honest, if we're brutally honest, none of us sees ourselves as the hot, popular, successful King David, even with all of his flaws. In the end, it's Saul we relate to. Disgraced, dethroned, ashamed, comforted only when the king who replaces him plays the harp for him, adding humiliating insult to injury. Like Saul, we too see ourselves with little eyes. But remember this, God may have torn the kingdom away from Saul, but God did not tear God's love away from Saul. Whatever lowly and disgraced state you are in, God's desire is for your vision to be that of Samuel, who spots a lowly shepherd and makes him king. God's desire is for you to know that God sees you as precious, irreplaceable, most beloved. Open your eyes widely so that you can see the vision of who God has created you to be and live into it fully. Amen.